Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. Okay, super excited to have Tim Brown, friend of mine, my lawyer. Uh, so anybody wants to uh, mess with me, they got to know who they're going to be. I'm going to bring in, bring in for backup. Tim Brown, uh, partner with Richards Buell Sutton. Tim, thanks for coming on the show today. Glad to be here. Uh, so Tim, we were chatting a little bit before we started filming about Richard Buell Sutton, RBS, and uh, you were telling me that it's the l- oldest oldest law firm in British Columbia? In British Columbia. And our managing partner says, we're old because we're good, but not good because we're old. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> Now I want to get right into this. You're, you're, a, uh, in my view, you're a phenomenal lawyer. We, I, I call you often um, uh, to help me out with different things. And so w- today, we're, I want to talk about a few things that are of interest to you, which is uh, related largely to taxes. And I also want to spend a little bit of time talking about estate planning because I know that's important to a lot of people that I know. Um, and you did a phenomenal job for Crystal and I on that in our in our estate planning. So. Um, but why don't we um, why don't we start just j- dive right into it with the the whole um, sort of change in tax regime that we've seen laid on us largely from the federal government right now? And there were three things that you you wrote down that you wanted to talk about. So maybe we we'll just start out with what are those three topics that you wanted to, to get into? Well, there's three things that I don't object to, like just raising the rates generally across the board, or something that's specifically you know it's of general application, but. There are a couple of things people have done that are really being targeted to certain people, and yeah. there's some non-tax fallout from that, which kind of bugs me. So it's a bit of a social aspect to it as well as a tax aspect, because okay. taxes drive behavior. Yeah, sure. So one that really gets me is a few years ago, uh, there was a problem about having non-residents own real estate and get principal residence exemptions when they shouldn't have. So they said, we're going to pass laws to stop that. Sorry, who's they? Uh, the federal government. The federal government. Yes. Yeah, so well, I should point out, by the way, before we go any further, because I know you told me to say this. Yeah. This is, I'm a financial advisor. You're a lawyer. Don't try this stuff at home, kids. Yeah. That basically, you know, we're, you're, we're having a conversation, but nobody should hold any of us to yeah. uh, our, our, our... This is off-the-cuff comments, not financial <laughs> advice, not <laughs> legal <laughs> advice. Exactly. Okay, there yeah. we go. Fair enough. Yeah, so the feds decided to... Uh, I think one of the first things that Trudeau did to try to say, we don't want this to happen. So they passed some rules. And one of the rules has the unfortunate side effect of if you have a child who is, say, challenged in some way, okay. but they're old enough or they're smart enough and they're adults and they're smart enough to maybe have a job, um, maybe get themselves up, cook food, and but basically they could be taken by a swindler. So a lot of times people would buy a house for them, put it into a family trust or principal residence trust, and this person would have this house. It would not be in their name. It would not be, you know, couldn't be taken from them with a the stroke of a pen. And they got the principal residence exemption if they ever sold it, and it's the place they live in. But because of these rules, that's no longer possible. So either you have to put the house in the kid's name, in which case they could lose it if they meet the wrong person, or they, don't, they have to pay tax on the gain. And it mm. doesn't seem fair because the rule was designed for And what rule non-res- change was this, Tim? Uh, they changed, they basically said a trust was not allowed to claim the principal residence exemption. I see. Unless it was a certain type of trust. And they was, it, was the rule being abused? Well, not against, not for disabled people. Well, no, no, not for what you, but maybe is, was that an unintended consequence of uh, the reason why the rule was changed in the first place? Yeah. The the non-residents were abusing it was the perception. I don't know the data, 
Okay. But it had nothing to do with residents abusing it. Okay. But when the legislation came in, it didn't specify between non-residents and residents. And so a lot of re- uh, reports and comments were sent back to the federal government saying, you're nailing disabled people, really disproportionately. Okay. And they didn't care. They, they, just, they, they just ignored it. They yeah. steamrolled it through, didn't really care. And, and when been, did this get passed? I think it was the fall of 2015, right okay. after, within a few months of the... Uh, the liberals are going through. Coming through, okay. I, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. It might have been 2016, but it was, it's a while ago. Okay. Um, and it's really unfortunate. So what happened if you had a, you call it a principal residence trust, Yeah. right? So I've got a, let's just call it an adult child with disabilities that would fall under this category. They, they're already living in the home. I already have set this up and I did this in 2010. So way before this rule change occurred. And I, what would, ha- what, where would I sit today with that? What would happen? Like, if you were, yeah. was there any grandfather clause? Yeah, yeah. Up until, and again, it was either December 31st, 2016, or 2015, whenever the rule came in, there's a deadline. And yeah. the gain was guaranteed up to that point. Yeah. But if the trust sold it after that, they, the gain from that point forward would be fully taxable. Really? And, any, any, and, and no one would set these up now because you can't. Well, you can. It's just that you have to decide would you rather pay 25% capital gain on the value of the land? And not risk the land being taken from the kid. Yes. Or would you rather put the, the land in the kid's hand and hoping that nobody comes oh, along see. and convinces them that they should mortgage it and give them the money or they should go and title with a new boyfriend or girlfriend right. or things like that, which the person could do. Because they're right. probably legally capable. Yeah. Because to be declared incapable is, you know, incapable is quite a hard task. Yeah. And it's also demoralizing to take away someone's rights. Yeah, sure. So it's just one of these things that... It, it, it's we, kind of ironic that it's coming from the liberal government. I mean, these are the, the, the left-leaning politicians who are supposed to support people with disabilities and others, yeah. uh, my, you know, minorities and whatnot. And yeah. They, and, and, and I mean, they, they know about it. And yeah. they've known about it for a few years. Um, again, I don't think they intended to do it, but they certainly know it could be fixed. And it wouldn't be hard to fix. Yeah. They could simply put a new clause in there saying, Same. you know, it, and, and I know there are people working on this in the city and, yeah. and in the country, and hopefully they will get it changed. Yeah. I hope I'm not causing any difficulty by raising it on this, but yeah. get it changed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. What was the second one you wanted to talk about? Well, a long time ago, this is actually under the previous federal government. Uh, there was these um, things called testamentary taxes or testamentary, tr- testamentary trusts. Yeah. And they had a graduated tax rate. What is a testamentary trust? The trust created by death. Okay. So usually contained in a will, okay. but not necessarily. And what I found in you know, doing this 25 years is that sometimes there are people who have second marriages, and sometimes the children aren't the children of the second spouse. Okay. So when the spouse who dies, it's you know, called Rachel, uh, dies and leaves Frank behind, and uh, the idea is that Rachel wants most of her assets to go to Frank for his lifetime, but then to... Rachel's kids on Frank's demise, we'd often set up a testamentary spousal trust. So the assets go to Frank. He doesn't control them, uh, but he gets a benefit the, of a, benefit of it. Yeah, of the income, and it was about a seventeen or eighteen thousand dollar a year, or some you know some maybe up to twenty thousand, depending on the tax rates, a benefit. So okay. we can say, hey, Frank, you're going to save twenty grand a year. Yeah. If you leave the trust, what, what, would go, what, what kind of assets would actually go into this? Stocks and bonds. Stocks and bonds and real, real estate? estate. Anything okay. that generated income. Okay. Anything that had a capital gain, generally. Okay. Okay. And so they would save $20,000. And then when they died, everything would go back to Rachel's kids. So the kids were like, hey, we're going to get it back for sure. Frank gets to live off it. He gets a tax savings. Everybody wins. Right. So by taking this away, basically after three years, you cannot do this anymore. Like if you die, you have, you're possibly grandfathered for three years. Okay. 
but that's even difficult. Uh, and then what happens now is... So this got removed yeah. by the, the Tory government the Tory government and yeah. the Harper government? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what was their rationale for, do you know? Well, they thought there was, a, there was abuse on uh, testamentary trusts. Okay. They thought there, there were there people who were setting up like 30 of them for, and one death and like there are tons of testamentary trusts created, which I agree is abusive. I'm not, I'm not saying they didn't have some reasons to do it. They're, as usual, you take an idea and sometimes people like, take it to the absurd right. and that ruins it for everybody. Yeah. But this one there's a huge social impact because it's a lot of second marriages. And if you can convince the second marriages, the end on death, not to create lawsuits and have wills variation challenges and litigation, it's better that way to avoid that fight. Sure. And so it, made, it took away a real nice tool that I could use to say to everybody, hey, everybody wins here. Yeah. And now they took away that. So now they're, the, sp- the surviving spouse doesn't get a $20,000 benefit. I see. You know, so... You know, it just seems like, you know, for 20 grand or 30, right now it probably with the higher new tax rates are in, it'd probably come up to about $33,000 savings a year. Yeah. It just isn't that big a number. If you look at how many people it applies to across the country. But, uh, but for the few that it does, it, it's got a big impact. I think so. Yeah. And, and again, I'm worried more about the social impact as opposed yeah. to the tax revenue loss, which I don't think is significant, but yeah. the social impact I think would matter. Well, that's a, see, I think that's one of the things that's, that I find so neat about you. And I, and I think that this sort of dispel the myth of all these, you know, of the lawyers out there is that you guys aren't all looking out just to try and maximize your billing hours and and focus on you know maximizing your your clients you know financial gains like you know that there's two examples you've already given where this is really about making sure people who are disadvantaged have an opportunity to just you know get a little bit more get by more i mean this is a, this is a good way of being able to yeah, I mean, the disadvantage certainly applies to the first example. The yeah. second example, generally speaking, these aren't necessarily poor people, okay. but it's, it's still a $20,000 means something. I sure. mean, it's, it, it might mean the difference between getting, having a nice, uh, you know, be able to get a better uh, nursing home or might have, make nice to have a nicer, you know, get a better car, not just having some more income security. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, if it's the uber wealthy, they don't care. Yeah. 20 grand is irrelevant, but right. that's not, that's, that's not, not most the market. Pe- that's yeah. not most people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was the third one you wanted to talk about? Well, this is probably the most political because it's really it's still live in the news now. Is okay. uh, in 2017, the current government uh, launched a massive 30 year overhaul of the tax rules dealing with small business. Okay. And while some of them. I mean, this was huge yeah. in the press. I mean, it's yeah. still big now. It's, I mean, it's I mean, huge still. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what happens people are now getting their tax bills. And okay. the level of sophistication and confusion, um, the, the, sorry, the level of sophistication you need to understand these rules and the confusion created by the rules is astounding. Because it was rammed through politically, not sensibly. Uh, and they, you, know, you have two months on July 17th, I believe, 2017, or July, mid-July 2017. And basically, the end of, uh, end of September is like, okay, that's all the consulting period. But how many people are doing this sort of thing during the summer? Like they, they release it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. right? um, and it's still a mess. Um, there's something called TOSI, Tax on Split Income. Tax and splitting. No, tax on. Oh, tax on split, split income. income. Okay. So we call it TOSI. Okay. And there's a, been a survey done of a collection of all the government responses on questions about TOSI. And okay. it's like 200 responses. And they're not all consistent. Hmm. And it's... Well, this applies with my rule, which is if, if you don't like the answer you get when you call CRA, hang up and call again. Yes. <laughs> Although they're not going to be bound by anything they say to you. So, right. yeah. but you know, that's right. At least it gives you plausible deniability, but it's, it's, it's just really problematic. So Tim, let's talk about sort of the, the you've, you've touched on three, three items here and they all seem to have a common theme. Can you kind of? Well, the big theme for, for the last item is that the federal government seems to think that business owners were doing bad things and they should be taxed the same as 
regular people who don't take risks. And that's the problem I have with it. Uh, a business family, generally, they don't have overtime. They sure. don't get paid vacations. They and they're guaranteed get, nothing. They don't get severance. If the things yeah. don't, they, if, they, if the business fails, they don't lose their job. They lose their house. Right. And, and so the whole idea of saying business owners should be taxed the same as employees or people who don't take risks, uh, federal government employees, et cetera, um, it doesn't really make sense to me. And yeah. in the paper this week, it was saying there's a huge lack of investment in business investment in the country. And a lot of my business owner clients are like, it's actually if we invest in the states, we'll get like a 16% better return on investment. Right. So why not sell out in Canada and work in the States? Yeah, sure. Or, or own in the States. And that's not what I want to see for Canada. Canada yeah. should be a haven for entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial spirit, which does exist here. But making it difficult for people to take risks and making it harder and harder for them to succeed doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, but that's probably the main, the main takeaway, the main, I think. From the main the takeaway, the main theme. Yeah. In your view, we, got, we have an election coming up in, in October of this year. Um, we may or may not have a new government. Um, I know for myself, I hope we do. And if for all, you know, for the record, I did vote for Trudeau um, in the, because I was inspired by the guy, but I quickly became uninspired uh, not too long after I made that fatal mistake. Um, my question for you is what, what does the government need to do to reinvigorate you know, small business investment, business investment in Canada today, in your opinion? Well, there's a big theme that came out of this 2017 changes, which uh -huh. is the, over, the Tax Act was last overhauled in 1966. And it was a big thing. I can't remember the name of the commission. I think it was a Carter Commission, something like that. And it took five years, and it resulted in the big tax changes of 1971. Okay. So it was a huge amount of input, uh, the tax capital gains for the first time. These are fundamental changes. But it was done over like five years and a lot of stakeholders. The changes they tried to ram through in, in 2017, some of which they did ram through, uh, were, I would say, equally as fundamental, especially with the rates of businesses. And you had it in two months, and it was just a tack on bad wording. Uh, you know, some of the sections are like section 120.4, because they didn't want to fit it in before, they wanted before 121 and after 120. So they create <laughs> dot four. Okay. Um, so what I would say is the, the Income Tax Act needs a fundamental overhaul. Like, the, whoever comes into government to say, look, we think it's broken. Okay, if it's broken, let's look and see why it's broken, and let's get into the 21st century. Maybe sure. we need to tax, you know, intangible service providers like Netflix differently. Let's look at this whole thing. Um, in the States, for example, you have a joint return, husband and wife, or couples, whatever. Yeah. Uh, two couples, they share a joint return. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, It seems like the whole tax system is so... A, dated, and B, complicated. Like, I, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, there are two things you could do to cut about a third of the tax act out, and I'm just generalizing here. Yeah. One is you have joint returns for spouses. And the second one is you get rid of the small business deduction, which I make a lot of enemies by saying that. Yeah. But when I started in practice, the small business deduction, I think, was around 27%, uh, no, 22%. And now the high rate is 27%, when the high rate before was over 40%. What do you mean by that small business deduction? Okay, so uh, so a, a private company, a Canadian-controlled private company carrying on business in Canada yeah. uh, primarily, uh, generally pays uh, a lower tax rate on its first $500,000 of income. Right, So about 12.5%, okay. yeah. I think, right now in British Columbia. Uh, so bef so that is the, the, the people like to get around that or have multiple versions of that. So if you have two businesses, you want 
to 500,000. And there are rules against that, and the rules are pretty complicated. And sometimes they can lead to absurdity. Because a spouses, two separate spouses, you know, each have their own business, and there's no cross-ownership, they're both entitled to a $500,000 exemption. But if they, com- they have you know, common shareholdings, they each own 50% of each other's company, they have to share one. Mm. The rules are just so complicated around this. I mean, I like the small business deduction, but if, you were, if your goal was to simplify the act, by getting rid of that, you'd probably cut a quarter of the act. Is that right? Because if there's so many rules about people trying to abuse it, the rules about stopping people doing that, it would simplify things dramatically. So it, it's, you know, I'm not saying get rid would of it. Would there be a loss of tax? Excuse me, loss of tax dollars for the government? Uh, no, probably be an increase in tax dollars for the government at a certain level. Uh, but you know, maybe a good idea would be to lower the general rate from 27 to 25 and then get rid of the small rate of 12 and a half. Or more importantly, maybe saying each person or each company you know, gets a lifetime exemption of $2 million at low rate, and after that, they, pay, they made $2 million bucks, so maybe they can not pay high rate tax. Right. I, I don't have a solution. I'm just saying... That one section of that one set of rules, called the association rules, yeah. creates an awful lot of complexity. Mm. So you know, that's the reason I would say that. It would simplify the act considerably. Yeah. The, I've read one, I saw, heard somewhere once that the uh, Canadian Tax Act would fill the, this table, if you print it off, it would fill this table, some analogy of like this, but if you print it off, the U.S. Tax Act would fill a room. Yeah, I mean, the Canadian Tax Act, the actual act itself, I was actually yeah. thinking of bringing it here in case you asked me a technical question. It's uh, <laughs> three inches thick on onion skin paper. Um, but it's, it's a book. I mean, okay. and, but it's not necessarily the act that's the problem. It's the regulations and the policies behind it. Um, I see. But yeah, the U.S. tax code is a lot, more, is a lot, a lot worse. Yeah. Because um, Trump, had, that, he put that on as part of his platform. A big part of his platform was to try and, try and like... Uh, yeah, for every new regulation, he had to get rid of two. I love ones. that one. Yeah, it's until great. they, okay, we want a regulation governing uh, the color of uh, dying of Paul Chisholm's hair, and we don't uh, want to have regulations governing the amount of food in baby, uh, amount of lead in baby food. So, you know. Okay, fair uh, enough. Yeah, you got you to look at the animal but, before you, yeah. you decide how you're going to cut. In but the, the, the general theme, though, I think is a pretty phenomenal one. It's like oh, creative. No, it's like, well, yeah, but there's some overregulation, but there's also some unregulation. I mean, we yeah. live longer than ever before. And listen, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rules out but there. Don't you, don't you think there are too many rules in our, I mean, okay, maybe yeah, I'm asking the wrong guy. You're, well, you're, no, no, no. I think, that, I, I, I think I mean, common sense. If we had no rules, you wouldn't have a job probably. Well, but common sense <laughs> can't be legislated. Right, fair enough. So, again, should there be a rule that you can't pour poison into rivers? Everyone probably agrees with that. Yeah, sure. People in Flint, Michigan would still like that rule. Yeah. I mean, so there are rules that make sense. There are rules that don't make sense. The trouble is every rule probably started from a good position. Yeah. But maybe the rule against flintlock muskets doesn't need to be on the books anymore. Because there's not too many flintlock muskets. So, muskets. So, but no, the... The, uh, the line I use, often use in talking about the American and Canadian thing yeah. is I have a lot of clients who are dual taxpayers. And I'm not a U.S. lawyer, but I, doing this 25 years, I come across a lot of issue, U.S. issues. So I usually tell people the American taxation code is about a 5 out of 10 complexity. The Canadian taxation code is about a 4 out of 10 complexity. But if you're a dual taxpayer, you have a 17 out of 10 complexity. <laughs> Really? Because you think that they make sense, they talk to each other, they both yeah. have dividends, but the rules just don't talk to each other. No. And that is very frustrating, especially all the radical changes that happen on both sides of the border all the time. Yeah. It's really hard to keep up. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So, 
one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is about estate planning because that's right. something that uh, I know we've taken advantage of, and you've, you're just so knowledgeable in the space. And um, maybe I could start with just some real simple questions that you can help answer because I, I I know a lot of people who are in my stage of life. They they're married, they have kids, they've got wealth, and you know they're building their or they're building their wealth, and they don't have a will at all. So can you just give me like what is kind of like the worst case scenario occurs for your children if there's a demise of parents at the same time. Mom and dad are driving downtown to go for an evening and tragically get hit by a bus and they're gone and they have no will and they've got two or three kids. Okay. Just because I want, I want to sink. The, I mean, I mean, maybe the answer is uh, there's no problem, but I think that's not what you're going to tell me. No. Because I want to sink this home to the people who don't have wills who I think need to go out and get those done. Yeah. Well, again, there's, there's the social aspect and there's the financial aspect. Yeah. Okay, so... Let's uh, talk about both. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So let me tell one of my best ways to tell uh, points is sometimes give stories. Yeah. Uh, a guy in my high school, his parents passed away when he was young, and they did, I, just, I don't know if they had a will or if the will was just badly drafted. He turns 19, inherits millions of dollars, had all the, money, all the friends money could buy until <laughs> he didn't have any more money. Right. Um, I didn't know him that well, but uh, it seems like not a good idea. Uh, so I, when 1994, I was up in, uh, up in the interior drafting wills. I had a hotel room and I had about a small little community and I drafted about 40 wills, uh, like instructions, sent the wills up afterwards. And uh, a lot of people at that time had kids who were like five or six years old, or maybe some of them 10. And generally speaking, we were saying when you, when the kids get older at 25, they can be in charge of their money. So if you both die and your kids are younger, you both get half the estate, there's two kids, half the estate each at 25. So it's been quite funny how a lot of these people have been phoning me up in the last 10 years. They haven't updated their wills, and now they're saying, Tim, we've met our 25-year-old or a 24-year-old, and there's no way we're giving them half the money. <laughs> so the reason I raise that point is if you don't have a will, it defaults to 19. Now, 19 when 1945 or 1939, those people were pretty mature. They kind of had to be. And a lot of times, you know, people say the greatest generation, they matured earlier, people were getting married earlier, responsible earlier, had jobs. The average 19-year-old, I don't think necessarily is as, maybe as mature. Now, yeah, sure. I can't imagine the single generation in the last thousand years has ever thought that the next generation was any more mature than they were. Yeah. All people our age probably think every 19-year-old in every generation has always been, you know, inappropriate yeah. or immature. But uh, just think about how much more money there is often now um, and you know, the, the temptations of how to spend money inappropriately. You just don't, if you don't have a will, the kid's getting it at 19. Everything at 19. Yeah, straight out. And, and no, it, no restrictions. And, but let's say we're talking about the young family. So yeah. there's young kids. Family's got a, you know, with after life insurance or something like that, they've got a net worth of a million to three million bucks. Uh, and the kids are preteen. What, what happens with no will? Like who, who gets that money? Okay, well, the, uh, the court, generally speaking, will find an, an administrator. It's not an executor, it's an administrator. Okay. And if there is nobody, the public guardian and trustee will do it. Who's that? Uh, it's a BC government agency. Oh, okay. It's a for-profit agency. It makes money. They charge really? 5%. It's that most exec, corporate executives will charge less. They will generally charge quite a lot. Um, they have like a long-standing contract with the provincial government or something? They are the provincial government. Oh, it's like a Crown Corp or something? I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think it's a corp. I think yeah. it's just the ministry. But it's for profit. 
they well like the probate fees they're for yeah. profit too oh, it's a okay. tax yeah, right i mean enough. the government will make yeah. money they just decided i'm pretty sure the whole government's for profit <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. last time i looked at my tax returns <laughs> yeah exactly and this and these fees can be pretty high and okay. listen they're, they're fine i've known some people who work at the pgt the public garden trustees yeah. office and they're, they're good people it's yeah. just you know they will take it on and they and you, nobody knows who they are though yeah. so the person who's running the money is not somebody you chose it's, yeah, sure. it's a government bureaucrat. Right. And they'll they'll probably farm it out to an appropriate accountant and maybe farm it out to an appropriate investment council. We don't know. Uh, they'll decide what they want to do. Yeah. Many years ago, they basically, they just bought BC bonds. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that, that situation has changed. I haven't looked into it recently, but I'm pretty sure they now do a more prudent investment model. But the point is, you don't know who it is. Yeah. And at 19, they're cutting the check. Right. And they charge a fee to manage it. And I said, the fee is pretty high. And do they have any discretion after the age of 19 or no? Like 19 no. hits, like 19th uh, well, birthday parent, and you're getting a big birthday present. If the kid's in legally incapacitated, like yeah. not capable, yeah. I think they, they won't but, have to. But if they're just drunk. Yeah, if, they're legally, if they sober up for a couple of weeks and show up and go, here's my check. <laughs> right. Yeah, I imagine they're going to have a fun time. Okay, now what about the social side? Well, again, it is, if you almost forget about the money. What's yeah. more important is like, who's going to look after the kids. Well, that's what I'm yeah. trying to get to because yeah. I think like that. Yeah, I'm yeah so when like, people say, well, should I have a will when I'm 19? I would say, look, if you, having a will simplifies your estate for the people you leave behind. But if you, as soon as you have kids, that's usually when people do get excited about having a will. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, you want to choose your guardian for your kids because your, net, your closest relation may not be the best choice. Right. But often the closest relation is the one who comes forward and says, well, I should do this. Either I feel morally I should do it or, you know, I know the kids really well and but they, maybe they're not the one you want to choose. Maybe yeah. they're good with the kids, except for they believe in corporal punishment, or they belong to a religious group that you don't subscribe to. Maybe you right. used to, but now you don't. Yeah. So the point is, someone's going to get appointed, and it's probably not going to be the government. The government will look to a family member or someone appropriate. Uh, I, again, I have not done the research on this recently, but generally speaking, it'll be a family member, yeah. unless it's, they're obviously wrong. Uh, sometimes it's an older person, like a grandparent or a parent. Um, yeah. But the point is, you're not choosing. Someone's choosing for you. Yeah. And Can the kids get caught up in social services during this process? I or? would imagine right away, if there was no one coming forward, they yeah. would probably do that right away. That would yeah. happen. I mean, the kids aren't going to be left alone yeah. to feed themselves at five years old or two yeah. years old. I mean, no, the no. system will kick in. Yeah. But it just won't be the system you choose. Yeah. So again, I don't have a ton of experience on what happens when these kids right in the next day, but I can guarantee you they'll be looked after. But I would imagine it's going to be a family member. The point is in the long term, two years later, five years later, are they going to be kept together? Are they going to be taken apart? Uh, All you know is the person who's looking after them is maybe not somebody you would have chosen. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. Yeah, and maybe maybe they're shipped off to a different, uh, maybe the closest relation lives in Australia. Yeah. Great, Great place to be, but maybe not what you intended your kids to be raised. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when it comes to estate planning, most people right away think just wills, but yeah. there's more than just wills, right? Because you, you yeah. had us do, there's like some other documents that I remember. Well, the, the, the three primary estate planning documents. What are they? Uh, will, okay. power of attorney, and a medical representation agreement. So what does a will do in like layman's terms? What does a will do for you? Upon your death, yeah. all assets that are in your name yeah. are given to your executor under the terms of your will. And your executor has the right to then sell the assets, pay money, pay bills, get money to your kids, your heirs. They have that right. You don't have to register your assets any way other than just in your name. So it's not a lot of work. It covers everything that happens to be in your name. And it only applies on death. Okay. Okay. 
So yeah. a will's good for that reason. It's simple. It's understood the concept. And it also a will also determines if you're a parent with underage, like with minors. Yes, the the wills the wills of states and secession act allows. Uh, the, the 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 person who will to name their guardian and the terms of the guardianship and things like that. Uh, okay. Usually, don't want to make it too complicated because one thing about exit wills, a lot of people attempted to rule from the grave. Yeah, I, I love that saying. You've yeah. I use that I use yeah. that all the time. You you said that to me years yeah. ago. Yeah, and can't rule from the grave. Well, people try all the time. <laughs> and the one thing I usually tell people against that, and if you remember this, is I say, it's I can guarantee you that we can agree on one thing, which is the future will not be exactly what we think it's going to be. So you could come up with this great idea that's perfect right now, and you think you're making this assumption of what 20 years from now it's going to look like. Yeah. But I can also tell you that if it's not the same, there's a very good chance that your really good intention will yeah. is not going to make sense. So if you're too extreme, and I can give you a good example of that. Yeah, let's hear it. There's a guy who's not a client of mine, uh, but I heard about the story without any names. And basically this guy, he was... A grandfather, and let's say he was worth 10 million bucks. He's put aside, let's say, 2 million bucks to, for his six grandchildren. And the will says, when my youngest grandchild hits, so, so this money is put aside, sorry, for their education, university education. Okay. Okay. When the youngest one hits 26 or 27, it's, it's divided equally amongst all the grandkids then alive. They can use it whatever they want. So he had six grandchildren. They were aged, I think, 15 to 23, okay? And uh, then he does this, this will like this. And a couple of years go by, and he goes incompetent. A couple more years go by, one of his children has another grandchild. who's now about 23 years younger, or whatever, than all the other grandchildren. <laughs> and then the guy dies. So, And this, he named it as just my youngest. No, yeah, he my youngest my grandchild. Youngest, yeah. yeah. So what happened then when the when the guy when the guy died? There's, now there's like two million bucks in this investment account, and uh, I don't know how old the grandkid is now, but you know there's going to be some grandkids. They're going to be like fifty <laughs> before they get their share for their education. And this one kid who's going to go through university is going to have like six million bucks sitting there for his university tuition. <laughs> and I was looked, uh, you know, basically the theory is, hey Tim, do you think you can undo this? And I was like. Uh, that's that's pretty hard, and the wow. public guardian is going to say, "Why are you Why are you doing this? You're going to hurt this young um, this young kid." Yeah, sure. So they'd have to sign off on it. So again, it would be far better if the the will had been drafted with a bit of discretion. Yeah, like you can. T- oh, Was that can- a homemade will? Uh, I don't know. Okay, I don't recall. <laughs> All I'm saying is, it's it's one of those will kits you get for yeah, you know, well, two ninety nine on Amazon. Yeah, or just go to a, yeah, you can get them in, in any stationery store. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it just and the problem with that one was it was a great intention. Yeah. And yeah, it was. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know. But that's why you should always advice. build it. You should build in flexibility. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that we, I don't know if it was bad advice. Maybe the, the lawyer said, or the notary, whoever drafted it said, don't do this. Actually, it couldn't have been a notary because it's a trust. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the guy said, I want to do this. Hmm. And, and again, I, you know, he came from a place of love. Yeah. But what an absurdity. I can yeah. guarantee you if the guy was alive, he would say, this is silly. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, so that's wills. Yeah. The next thing you said was, Okay, so the next one is power of attorney. Power of attorney. Okay. What is a power of attorney? So I mean, if you're alive, yes. competent or not, a power of attorney allows you to have appoint somebody, like a contract, like an agent, to pay your bills, make basic investment decisions, um, basically look after your financial affairs, and you're alive. So okay. it matters. Like you, if, you, if you're in a nursing home, they're paying your bills. Would that be the most common use of a power of attorney is when you, mom or dad are getting to the point where they need to go into a nursing home and... 
Well, it's a just, it's a, or just living at home and they've got a nurse yeah. next door or some other, you know, these great services. But this is to allow the kids yeah. to kind of start taking care of mom. It doesn't have to be a kid. It could be okay. a trust company. It could be a trusted friend. It could be a sibling. I see. You know, you, anybody you want. Are there various levels of powers of attorneys? Like, could you have like a power attorney that just restricts those? People? Yes. You're allowed to have restrictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of times power of attorneys, uh, we have our generic one. Yes. It's very much like the back of the act. And those are good because bank tellers like to see those because they understand them. They're not weirded out by them. They don't yeah. send them to Toronto and get them checked. Uh, sometimes we have a bit better ones. We have ones with a bit more powers. The, for example, the power to um, gift assets to uh, grandchildren uh, to say, hey, if you, if you want to give a grandchild for a car when they're 19, you can actually, the attorney can say, we know you want to do this, so we're going to have the ability to give a gift. Okay. Uh, you generally can't give a gift otherwise. Yeah. Because really, your job is to protect the person's assets, not yeah. to give it away. Give it away, yeah. yeah. Between spouses who've been married a long time and a very good marriage, we often do give powers of attorney between spouses to gift assets away. Or okay. let's say, again, we go back to Rachel and Frank. Let's say um, Rachel's got all the money, uh, uh, goes incompetent. Frank is her power of attorney. Frank can use her money to pay for his upkeep <laughs> because okay. he was relying upon that before. Yeah. If he suddenly can't use her money to pay for him, then maybe he can't afford to live in the house anymore. So it's, it's a good idea to have think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to always be that complicated. But power of attorneys are generally the simplest document and the most important, and they're generally pretty cheap because the standard form, we get creative ones, they're not going to be that complicated. Yeah. Uh, they, we have some good, good, we have some good extra clauses on them, like creating trusts and things. But Okay. Um, so that's, that's the power of attorney. Yeah. And then you said there was a third yeah. one. The medical representation agreement or a representation agreement okay. is generally used for medical terms. Okay. Uh, so, hey, I, I, do I need to go into a nursing home? Do I, need to, uh, do I need to have this operation? So this is in a situation where uh, someone's alive. Yes. But they're not able to make their own medical decisions yeah. at this point. Yeah, and the, med- and the medical rep agreement, as we call them, um, allows people to also, who are borderline incompetent, Mm-hmm. And you can use you can you allow the power to suggest. So okay. sometimes people are like I don't know what should I, I should do. Well, I think you should have the surgery. It's got a ninety five percent chance of success, and you're eighty, and you should do it. Yeah. Oh, I'm afraid of needles. Well, that's not a sane necessarily good idea, right? They maybe they're so scared that they're not doing it. So the, the representative can help them in that circumstances. I see. Very few of my clients acquire these because, generally speaking, the default is the spouses and the adult kids and the parents anyway. And so if you don't have one, the doctors will be asking those people. And if you're going to point... How does it work in uh, our, our province or our country? Like if, 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 you're, if your spouse is in the hospital and a decision needs to be made about whether or not they should take medical treatment or in an extreme case, like pull the plug on their lifeline, mm-hmm. who makes that final call? Well, without a, um, if you have a representation agreement, the yeah. representative does. Okay. So that's kind of black and white. That's why most of the people who do want these things are my doctors and nurse clients. Oh, yeah, because they see it all the <laughs> they time. They see it all the time. Yeah. They want it. And, and who, do they normally, uh, who do they normally designate? Is it normally the spouse or they actually well, try, it, typically it, find? You, you want to choose somebody you trust, yeah, right? Of course, like, yeah. like if, if, And the, <laughs> the, 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 struggle, the ones we struggle with are when, say, one set of parents are Don't very... Don't trust your spouse. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> generally speaking, that's generally how it's okay. But um, a lot of times people, they, they say their parents are very, very, very religious. They don't believe right. in yeah. that you have to survive at all costs. Yeah. And the person's like, no, I don't want to. Um, do you remember Terry Schiavo case? It was a Florida case where this no. lady was on life support for 20 years and her husband kept wanting to pull her off life support and the, the courts, the, the parents wanted her, had a force fed through a tube and she just no, wasted I away. Know, yeah. And because of that case, 
is why I think the British Columbia government brought in this legislation. And it, and frankly, it was pretty cutting edge when it came in. What is the legislation? The Representation Agreement. Oh, the, this is the yeah. Representation yeah. Agreement. And, and, the, and there's also the Substitute Decision Makers Act, which yeah. is uh, what happens if you don't have a rep agreement. Yeah. Um, so BC actually has a pretty mature policy on it. Yeah. Um, I would certainly love, the one of the areas that, Sorry, I'm speaking very quickly. Mm-hmm. One of the areas that uh, I think would be helpful. It's okay, you know what? Listeners can now, t- they can slow down. They can make it sound like we're talking very okay. slow. Well, my staff are <laughs> going to want that button from my office. <laughs> so, um, the short answer is that the, um, the, how do you make somebody incompetent? Like sometimes you have someone who's competent, but sort of not. And sometimes they have good days and bad days, and they're, they're competent for brushing the teeth and making toast, but they're not competent for trading the derivative stock portfolio. Yeah. It's a mess. And I'm, I'm not sure what the solution is, mm-hmm. but certainly more discussion on that yeah. should happen because sometimes people are like, what can you do? Yeah. Nothing. They're yeah. still competent. Yeah, right. So yeah. They're allowed to make bad decisions. Yeah. yeah. We're going uh, to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about RBS. It's the oldest law firm in British Columbia. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a few other topics I want to talk about with you with respect to, to law and tax, and, and maybe we can dive into a few of the political things that you want to talk about <laughs> as well. Okay. Tim Brown from RBS, I uh, look forward to having you back in a few minutes here. Thanks. Thanks. All right, here we are back with Tim Brown of RBS. Uh, Tim, uh, RBS, now, funny story that I want to tell that you told me was that when you guys first got your website, it was rbs.com. Yes. Which a lot of people know that RBS can stand for Richard Buell Sutton, but it can also stand for Royal Bank of Scotland. Yes, <laughs> I think you guys were you guys were able to uh, to sell that domain, were you not? And we signed a confidentiality agreement. <laughs> okay. Did I just screw things up? No, there? that's fine. I can say we signed a confidentiality agreement. Okay, but I so that was it was good enough I, to at least. I, uh, I we just, used to own it. Now we don't. Yeah. Now you're .ca. But now rbs.ca, and we have rbslawyers.ca, so we're yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Well, we, we've got right the time. website here. Over 145 years of passion, purpose, and progress. And yeah. if we go under team, we'll see Tim there. So the website address is just simply rbs.ca? Yes. Yeah. Keep um, it simple. Yeah, perfect. So tell me a little bit about your firm. Yeah, well, we have one location, downtown Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been around since 1871. Yeah. Uh, the second lieutenant governor of the province was one of our partners. Uh, basically, it's uh, not a full-service firm. There's things we don't do. Yeah. What, we, what we do, we do well. Um, we represent a lot of <laughs> land developers. Uh, real estate department is pretty much one of our marquee areas. Uh, in 19-something or other, we drafted the University Act, and we've been working with UBC since 1908. Really? Uh, we have, so we represent, we've been representing some of the bigger uh, lending companies in the cross country since okay. the 1870s, 1880s. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, the, 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 our, probably our... The, the key to the thing is our small business, uh, owner-managed business uh, clients, um, yeah. our corporate department, between doing what I do, which is figuring out ownership. I like calling myself like a holding company lawyer. Yeah. A lot of, there's a lot of lawyers out there who want to do operations, but when the money gets up there, I want to make sure it goes where people want it to go yeah. without a threat to it. I noticed on your website, and I don't know if you, you caught this or not, but all your partners say partners, but yours says incorporated partner. Yeah, well, I'm. I'm and less, I think I'm, you're the only one on there. Well, there's that. other incorporated partners, but I'm, I'm the one who's a. I'm a, I'm a bit of a stickler for detail, yeah. and so I'm an incorporated partner, which means I'm less of a human than most partners. Or okay. less, uh, you know. Part Android. Yeah, well, yeah. Deep down, I'm shallow. <laughs> um, basically, I, I practice what I preach. I'm a small business owner. Sure. And that's one of the reasons I mentioned earlier. These taxes really bug me because they hit me as well. Yeah. Um, 
But the idea is, uh, so we have a lot of small business clients, and uh, we're really good at mergers and acquisitions, uh, just and just making sure they run smoothly. Yeah, and sure. we move at the speed of business, which is, if you deal with bigger, bigger companies, they want they have controllers, so something comes out, they want a, a, an opinion. Yeah, it's gonna take them three weeks to get that opinion. A lot of my business owners are like, okay, Tim, get off the cuff. What's the answer? Yeah. And I say, I say okay, I'm not researching this, but you know, my off the cuff is yeah. blank. That's why I call you all yeah. the time. You're, you're great. Like, you yeah. guys are great like that. Yeah. Not yeah. just you, your team. I mean, you guys yeah. have a phenomenal team. Yeah, I know. And, and we've been largely trained that way. Our managing partner, Jeff Lowe, has been managing partner for like 30 years, and he's he's fantastic. Is is, is culture in a law firm important? It's critical. It we is, huh? we have a no... I can't swear, swear yeah. but... Sure I know, you can. We can always blank it out. Okay, well... Like, a you no, say the word, and I'll say beep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, a, a no-jerk policy, substitute yeah. the word jerk for something heavier. Yeah. Um, we get rid of people who are profitable, but jerks. Yeah. Like, if, if, if we're, not gonna, we're not going to end it. Uh, we don't have a lot of pushback. When someone in the group says, listen, this person has gone off the reservation, and they're insulting staff or whatever, we just don't put up with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, uh, for you. It, yeah, it's in a small firm like this. We know everybody knows who everybody is. Yeah. That's Does anybody important. in your office work as much as you do? Uh, there's a couple people that are up there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an insecure workaholic. <laughs> insecure workaholic. I, I, I can never rest on my laurels. I always have to come up with a better way of coming up with something. So, and I'm, I'm training up a lot of people to think this way as well. And, uh, I actually, we're quite a blessed because a lot of our new generation people, yeah. which a lot of people say don't, they're into work-life balance. A lot of them are really having a strong effort and, they got some balance, but they're also really putting some good hours and really coming up with some good results and being efficient. So yeah. we're, really, we're really bullish. Yeah, good. Um, we're going to come back to talking about a few tax-related items, but actually just a thought of something else I wanted to ask about going back to wills and estate planning, because uh, we just did a revision of ours. And one of the things that you had us insert uh, was uh, what you described. I don't know if it's your term or if it's a generic term, but it was called the growing up fund. Right. Can you kind of explain what that part of a will is? Okay, well, okay, so I do like to come up with different ideas, and I try and get some like a sexy name to them. Yeah. So um, we have a, you know, I call I have a Komomi agreement, which is called "Keep Your Mitts Off My Inheritance" agreement. <laughs> it's basically a, a watered-down family law prenuptial agreement for new families. Really. Okay. So I like coming up with names. So the Growing Up Fund is another example of this. And with the Growing Up Fund, uh, well, I had a situation, and like most of the ideas, you get faced with a situation. You've solved the problem, and you go, someone else could benefit from this. Right, yeah, So sure. why don't we, you know, precedent it, bring it out and summarize it and, and see if other people want to do it. So the situation we came in was as a husband and wife, and they had a child. I had a couple children, I think. But they also had their guardians they were naming for their children were a nearby friend. Okay. And they had a child who was the same age as one of their other children. And these people did not have nearly as much money. Right. And so what was happening is these kids were elite athletes and they were going to various camps around the world and it all was paid for, paid for by my clients. And they realized that if they died, there would be lots of money to send their kid to these right. elite camps. But yeah. the guardians could not afford to send their best friends, their kid's best friend to these camps. So I said, why don't we design a trust? We take a sum of money. You know, something that's not going to bankrupt the estate, but let's say if the estate's worth five million bucks, you know, five hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars, put into a little fund, only to be used for the benefit of the children of the deceased, plus the children of the guardians. Right. So if you want your kids to go off to private school and the guardians' kids can't afford it, you can use this money to pay for the kids going to guardian to private school. Yeah. You need to go out. You want you want your kids going to Disneyland three times before they turn fifteen. 
the guardians can pay for their kids to go. Yeah, sure. So because you don't want your kids deprived of the what you think no, you've worked hard for. Yeah. But on the other hand, you can't really put a burden on the guardians. Yeah. So I dreamed that up, and uh, I we probably recommend it as one of the fifty or sixty or seventy things that we sometimes say. Oh, you've got kids, and the guardian are they wealthy? No. Okay. Well, have you thought about this? Yeah. And you know, we drafting a will can sometimes take twenty five minutes, half an hour. Having the questions and having the discussion with the clients, making sure we actually do what they want, and they go, "Oh my God, it's a great idea." That takes hours. It you does. Know, sometimes hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah, yeah no, I, and I, re- I have to say, I really appreciate your the, the attention you took with Crystal and I to get that no, done. Appreciate you, you're you're champ in that way. Um, and my and team it, is because actually you've moved on <laughs> to a better person in my firm now, right? So, well, talking about Tommy, so he had another good idea. Another thing that he inserted was um, what's Tommy? Tommy's last name? Chan. Tommy Tommy Chan. Oh, there yeah. he is. There. Um, Tommy also inserted something that was pertinent to my group, and actually a lot of people that I know should know about this is a uh, digital assets. Right. So you, can you speak to that for a moment? Well, this is a growing area of law. I think you're going to see legislation across North America on this, uh, and there's quite a few people who are now this, quite talking are talking about this now. Um, now I can't remember who was it was it Bruce Willis or some some Hollywood elite guy was going to sue Apple or something when they realized that they couldn't transfer their iTunes account to the next generation, like when they die. Their 85,000 songs are gone. Really? Yeah. And if you look at the user agreements on these things, if you actually read them, which nobody does, I'm sure, but no. if you look at them, you know, these are a license to use for your life. So if you don't like that, then you maybe have to go to a different uh, music provider. Or, but, but look at all the uh, digital things you have. You've got a Google account. You've got a Facebook account. Uh, who has access to that? Who gets to decide whether you delete things? Right. Um, so it's just a growing area because this is a phenomenon. Yeah, um, and absolutely. it's really powerful now. So uh, we put that in. That's a good point. Because the other day I was I started to interrupt him, but I was looking at was my my kids wanted to watch a movie, and American kids are old enough now they figure out how to buy movies, and I'm trying to get them to stop. I don't know if there's some adult thing you can <laughs> put code in there, because my daughter is now buying movies, and I like we have 87 movies, and I've paid like 12 bucks for each of these things. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen to these after Crystal and I are gone? And it sounds to me like. Yeah, they, they bought them. They didn't rent them, right? So yeah, they yeah. bought them. Well, I think you, you, who's, who's this, the ownership of those? Well, it'd be your account if it's a yeah. Netflix or whatever well, it is. Yeah, if yeah. I'm gone, yeah, the they got to rebuy. The other thing too is that some people run their entire businesses now through, say, an Instagram. Yeah, and I don't think you could incorporate an Instagram channel or something like that. So would that fall yeah. under that category of a digital asset? Uh, yeah. I, I, Again, there are actually people who are way smarter about this than I am, okay. uh, who's been all the big deep dive, but yeah. you really have to look at each provider's rules. Yeah. And every provider has their own rules. But when it comes to the will, what, what, what's the purpose of having, what's, what's the basic theme of having a digital asset component to your, to your will? Yeah. What does well, it say? Well, the two big reasons I have it there are, one, I still, I want to make sure the, when the executives read the will, yeah. they go, oh yeah, we better deal with these things. Right. Because okay. they might not even think they about it. They might not think about it. Uh, and second one is that if when you're going to talk to the provider and they're saying, well, are you sure you're allowed to do this? Yeah, look at paragraph 83. Right. Right. So, you know, if, if there was something, if somebody had a, an asset uh, yeah. that was so valuable, let's say, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't uh, you know, if someone had a YouTube channel or something that it was. Yeah, really, no, I think, I think okay, Ross is okay, a good okay, idea. Okay, let's, okay, let's, say, okay. let's say YouTube or Instagram. No, there's people, there's people okay. like my. My, my cousin has like 2 million followers on her, on her YouTube channel. Oh, okay, so if there's someone has me and it's clearly worth a lot of money, I would say you're not just going to rely upon the generic digital assets clause in your will. 
Right. If, the, if it's worth a lot of money, you can spend, spend special attention to it, and you're going to ask the question, what happens if I go incompetent? What if I die? And you're going to look at the terms of, that, of the rules there. And, you know, maybe if you have 2 million followers, YouTube will go, oh, we make an exception for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they won't. But at least you have to know what you're doing. And so maybe you have to buy some life insurance or something to recoup that revenue stream that you had. You know, but I think it's a good idea to have the conversation. Uh, the generic will, I mean, everybody says, I like a short generic will. I need a simple will. That's all I need. Yeah. And that generally is never the case. Yeah. And, you know, is people, there any case where someone shouldn't have a will? Yeah. Actually, I get into really? fights all the time with lawyers. I go, no, I'm recommending client not have a will. What? Every lawyer, every client gets a will. I said, no, they don't, especially not in British Columbia. British Columbia has a part of the Wills, Estates, and Succession Act that allows basically a will to be buried by a court after you die if, you, if three things ha- are happen. One, you have a connection with British Columbia. You own real estate here or you um, uh, live in British Columbia. Two, you have a spouse or a child. And three, you have a will. So if you don't want someone to challenge your will, are you going to move out to BC? Probably not. You're certainly not going to get rid of your spouse or your children. So of the three things, getting rid of the will is the easiest one. Okay. So now a lot of people who say, hey, I've got two kids. I've been married once. Um, everything's great in the relationship. I'm going to leave my kids 50-50, the money. You know, should you be worried about wills variation? Probably not. There is a case from Saanich, I think from the 1990s, where the house was left, uh, the state was left 50-50, and one kid goes, that's not fair, went to court and got more. There's some facts in that case. Uh, I'm not sure the, the lawyering is exactly equal in that. And this, well. Sorry, and this is under the Wills Variation Act? Well, it used to be the Wills Variation Act. Now it's, uh, God, it's um, part five or six or something under WESA, the Wills, Estates, and Succession Act. But it used but to have its own statute. The basic theme here yeah. is that the provincial government has, a law, has some laws in place in BC that can override a will? They can vary the will. The court can use, substitute the deceased, the, the will maker's terms but what the court thinks is fair. And is this unique to British Columbia? It's not or unique. Does, it, it, it's, like, does Alberta have something like um, this? I, I, of, all the piece, of all the provinces in the, this country, I believe BC's is the easiest one to vary. Really? It came out of, an, of a UK legislation, called, I think called the Dependents Relief Act in the mm-hmm. 1900s, and British Columbia adopted it way early on. And they used to have to prove financial need. Mm. Now you don't. So you could have a billionaire son or daughter uh, challenging their wealthy, uh, well, any parent doesn't have to be wealthy. They could, you could have a, a really wealthy daughter challenging their parents' will because they know they can challenge and they got lots of money. And everybody else in the family could have no money to fight it. So they just cave. Uh, it's hmm. not as simple as that. The courts get involved because they don't like abuse in this area. Yeah. But it is basically a free How long has this rule, this uh, variation detail act, how long has it been in place in BC? Uh, I, over 100 years, I think. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. not like it's new. But, but what's new is in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, somewhere around there, they got rid of the requirement you had, you had to have financial need. Financial need. Initially, it was called the Dependents Relief Act. So the idea initially was to say if, if you, mom, mom and dad pass away and they've got an estate and they just don't like one of their kids and that kid is in financial need, the, that child could then... Is that the whole page? Well, I think the basis, I think, I'm not sure this is true, but this is a story I've always been told and I like it, which is some person in Victoria, back in the 20s or 30s or whenever this first came out, um, unfortunately, back in the day, the bad old days, uh, men had most of the money. Right. And the guy died, left his money to his parakeet. His wife and kids 
didn't have any money. There's no social safety net. They were like suddenly on the, that's now going to the BC government or the church and say, help us, help us, help us. So the government said, this doesn't seem right. We should allow a child or a dependent child or a dependent spouse to vary the will. And so they became the Dependents Relief Act. And I don't think anybody can disagree with that. Sure. But, and then it's been used recently, uh, more recently, so they, when they took out financial need, um, and then we bring in, so anybody can challenge whether they need the money or not. It's not fair. I just should get the same as my sister or my brother. But when you say anybody, you're talking about just children spouse. And, spouse I mean, and children. Yeah. Spouse and children. Not okay. grandchildren, not yeah. nephews, not, not nieces, not, not, not the really siblings. friendly next door neighbor that was mowing the lawn for no. free every Sunday. No, they have other yeah. way, they have other avenues, but not you know, nearly as easy right. as a wills variation challenge. Um, but what's also has been used for a lot now is um, so there are some cultures who don't believe it's appropriate to leave money to women, right? And so they leave more to men. Uh, BC's laws basically say, listen, we are a multicultural society, yeah. but in British Columbia, if you so this is where this this act would be still used, yeah. be- beneficial. Y- yes, in uh, a sense. yeah. I mean, it's beneficial in the sense that yeah, if if, if there's a huge inequity there, yeah. they should be dealing with it. Um, yeah. Sometimes that culture has adopted a thing where they gave a lot of money during lifetime, so it is actually fair if you look at the overall thing. So that's the thing; no case is the same. Okay. And, and but that being but said, going, going back to people who shouldn't get wills. Okay, so if you have a scenario, and this is not uncommon, where you have, uh, let's say, you have two children. Okay. One's a complete drug addict. They've already been given consumed half the resources of the entire family, and they're not getting any better. And the other person is struggling, has a young family, and you want to help them out. And if you have a will, the drug addict might go and hire a lawyer on a contingency, and bury the will and get half, or get more than half because they need the help. Uh, and you can vary it not just because you're not getting the money, but you've got restrictions on you getting the money. So maybe they say the drug addict doesn't get the money for 20 years. It gets paid to them over time with a trust company. Right. The drug addict goes, I don't like that. I want my money now. So they vary the will, not for the quantum, but for the, contri- for the restriction. For the, the restriction, yeah. yeah. So they can get it sooner. Yeah. So if you don't want to, I don't like winning lawsuits. I know. A lawyer, what? I don't like winning <laughs> lawsuits. I like not having avoiding, the lawsuit. Yeah, avoiding them. I want to have, avoid the lawsuit in the first place. And I'm a solicitor. I, I do joke that litigators have horns and tails, and I'm, I'm a solicitor. I'm a nice lawyer. But you, if, you ha- if you can't avoid it, you fight it. But if you can avoid it, even most litigators will tell you avoiding a lawsuit is the better way to go. Um, so, if so in this scenario, you don't have, if you don't have a will, there's no lawsuit. Because there's nothing to contest. Well, no, no, the, 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 but it, the wills, the, 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 the division of the WESA, of the statute that says what you can do, says the court may bury the will. Yeah. If there's no will, if there's, no will there's, there's nothing, nothing to, bury. to bury. Yeah. So lawyers, especially, well, sometimes lawyers who don't, who sort of dabble in this area, like, are you kidding me? You got to have a will. I said, show me the statute. Show me the law that says you have to have a will. And they go, well, the trustee act. No. The wills of states and succession act. No, it says, if you have a will, this is what a will looks like. This, this could be a will. Now, that actually raises an interesting point. If anybody in your, your listeners, or have you, ever got into a plane, and just before you got on the plane, you tweet, if the plane goes down, give everything to the Harry Krishnas. <laughs> okay. So before 2014... I know the reason I'm laughing is because the reason Tommy's working so hard, I think maybe even tomorrow on Saturday, is because my wife and I are going away on Monday on a plane to Europe. There we go. And, uh, on a and, Max 8? Yeah, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not too concerned. Even if it was a max eight, I feel like. <laughs> okay, but, but that's that's. I'm just laughing because yeah. it's so. It's you must get calls like this all the time. 
Well, uh, but I've heard a little bit. Tra- travel season and, and the date yeah. in which people want to update their wills kind of highly correlated. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I would just tell people around up, up to about 2014, I said, look, go have your holiday. Don't worry about it. I've never had a client die on holiday. Now I've had three of them. <laughs> Die on holiday. Uh, that's the benefit of, yeah, uh, yeah, of age, uh, of age yeah, right? Yeah. Eventually you experience almost everything. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So going back to the thing about the will, yeah. um, if, if you don't have the will, there's nothing to vary. So what we do is we do non-will planning. If oh. they're over 65 or sorry, 65 and older, we can use joint partner trust, alter ego trust. We can put things in joint tenancy. Life insurance is great. We can name beneficiaries. They can be beneficiaries in a trust. There's so many things we can do. TFSA, no will needed. Uh, RIF. RSP, no will needed. So you can you go through all the, all the assets and you figure out a way to get around them. Hmm. So you don't, it's going to flow the way you want it to flow. Now, because of the new rules put on by the BC government, the property transfer tax issue becomes a big issue now. Before, family members could transfer things around generally okay. Now you can't. Just because it's so expensive. Well, but the rules now apply to, before we could move a house, for example, from a parent to a, two parents to a trust for them without property transfer tax. Now we have to pay full-on property transfer tax, which is absurd. And then in some cases, it can be over 4%, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's, yeah, if it's a bit of an expensive house. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, and it's, it's just, it, I don't, I understand the concept behind property transfer tax, which is, yeah. uh, the whole t- is, is that if you are going to rely upon the, um, what the, re- the, the land title office says, you have to pay a fee to rely upon the land title office. Mm-hmm. But if you're transferring from yourself to yourself, I don't think there should be a fee for that. Yeah. In fact, if you're trying to... Well, the government over the years, the last number of years, has really benefited or depended on all the revenue from the property transfer tax. Yeah. Ironically, I think think the latest budget by the provincial government, they've had to actually ratchet down what they originally predicted is because there's the volume of sales have dropped off so much. Right. Actually, Tom Davidoff's coming in soon, and and I actually, he and I were on Twitter, and he was kind of endorsing one of the comments I made, which is like, I actually think this onerous, like, because they've increased the property transfer tax for the most expensive homes. And I actually think they should have a model that says, this is the property transfer tax. It's not going to go up. But in fact, what we'll do is we'll give you a slight discount as long as you sell your house within, uh, you know, 24 months of buying it. (laughs) And encourage speculation at the highest end of the, but you have to have a house over 5 million bucks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. If you, Listen, if you think I lo- about it. You, you're one of the most creative guys. I love it. You're not aggressive. You're a creative guy. Love the concept of discussion. I think it probably goes against a whole bunch of other things that we're trying to do. But interestingly- Well, it's not like it's not like it's going to address the affordability issue anyways. Any house five million bucks okay. and over, no one's ever going to uh, can afford that. I mean, most people yeah, can't. But your comment about you know that comment you made yeah. is that it's got a lot more to do with speculation than the Speculation Tax Act, which has got nothing to do with speculation. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, it's, it's like the, uh, is it the education tax? Or what's the latest? The school tax. The school tax. Which goes into consolidated revenue. It does not go to schools at all. And uh, understanding that the NDP's proposal to the teachers is not any better than the liberals were doing. So uh, that's going to be interesting. The There's school a lot of, tax. Uh, it's, it, it, yeah. yeah. It's absurd. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we talked, about, we talked about wills. What are the things we're going to talk about? Do you remember? Um. Well, one of the things we we talk a bit about insurance. Uh, yeah, life, life yeah. insurance. Yes. What are your What are your thoughts on insurance? Life insurance. Uh, well, I became uninsurable at twenty five, and okay. uh, I had some, some swallowed some bacteria. My kidneys shut down, and I'm now insurable, but it took a long time. So, uh, one of the things I found is that I had to make myself self insured pretty fast. 
So I ended up uh, working really hard and saving and my money. Your definition of shelf, self-insured is basically building safe. wealth. Yeah, safe. Safe, safe, safe. Paid off my mortgage. Yeah. Did not go out for dinner. Yeah. Uh, a great night was a bottle of leapfrog milk or black tower. Okay. I've moved up now. <laughs> I like better wine now. Uh, but the idea is you had to do, I had to do that. I put life insurance, my wife. Um, and interestingly, within 12, 12 months of both my kids being born, they had policies on their lives. They were a thousand bucks a year, dirt cheap. My son's 21 now. His policy is worth way more than, you know, probably double what I paid for it. And I know they have guaranteed insurance now. So it doesn't cost a lot. And I love it because uh, you can't take it away at that point. Right. Uh, so uh, I, I do, I think life insurance is a good, it's a really good tool. And one of the big things, and it's actually a theme that I should tell you, it's a big one for me now. Ever since the changes in 2017, there's been so the, many. The ones from the, the, the federal government. The federal government the, tax the changes. Small, okay. Since that threw such a wrench into everything. And there, there's a typical situation where, uh, for example, a lot of dentists, they incorporated, they dropped their salaries because they thought, hey, Back in the 90s, CPP won't be around. Right? I think it's going to be around now. But, but there's a real big discussion whether it was going to go bankrupt. Yeah, sure. So people, well, the baby boomers, are going to, they're going to zap. They're exactly. Going to, yeah. yeah. So the idea was these dentists would say, no salary, so we don't pay CPP, no EI. And uh, basically, we're going to do dividends only, income split with our spouses, save money on a holding company. And they went heavy. One plan, heavy into it. No diversification. And guess what? 2017 comes along, boom, they are completely messed with. Their whole entire plan has been messed up. And they have, so the government goes, that's okay, just put money into your RSP or create a pension plan. More no Chappelle sells pension plans, you know, do that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, but they have no uh, T4 income. They have no RSP room, they have no IPP room. So, so, so the moral of the story is to diversify. Div- I was going to say, diversify your strategies or your. Diversify your investments, diversify yeah. your skill set, diversify your strategy. Yeah. Uh, d- uh, don't don't just, assume that whatever the rule. Well, it's like you said. It's like you said earlier. The one thing you can be certain of is that the future isn't going to exactly be what you expect it to be. Right. Yeah. And and I, when someone says to me, you know, which I, I got some extra cash, you know, should I pay down my mortgage? Should I buy some life insurance? Should I make some investments? And I go, yes. <laughs> Do it all. <laughs> Do a little bit of mortgage. Do a little bit of life insurance. Do a little bit of investments. Save some money for a rainy day. Just. Don't do. Don't go whole heavy into any of those things. Yeah. Um, clients who have invested in one asset class. Uh, some clients of mine I know were only invested in residential real estate in BC. Well, you know, a lot of them have gone down now. Yeah, sure. You know, they've done, they had a great yeah. ride. They've done it for twenty years. They're, they're probably not complaining. But if they got if they did it all heavily and two years ago, yeah, they're not happy campers right now. Yeah. Um, At the same time, you know, it's interesting. Like when I started off as a financial advisor in this business, now twenty years ago, shockingly. Um, I was only 12 when I started, by the there way. <laughs> I'm older uh, than you. <laughs> not by much. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but when I started, you know, you were taught, okay, you know, tell your clients to diversify their portfolio. And what I've realized over the years, the people that I know who are the kind of the wealthiest, the ones that have done very, very well for themselves are actually the people who've probably diversified the least because they, when I, when I talk about diversification, I'm not talking about just an investment portfolio. I'm looking at what their, their overall total wealth. They're ones who've figured out what they're really good at, and they just they just continue to invest in that area. Yes. And um, I mean, obviously, there's risk associated with that. But I think a lot of the textbooks that you read is you know for young people who you know, if anybody's listening to this, it's trying to learn how to be a good financial advisor. You know, come to the realization that you, you know if you have a really wealthy client who's made a fortune on you know uh, manufacturing shingles, 
uh, or, you know, selling flags or, you know, building houses, like they're probably going to continue to be very good at that. And the best you can do as a financial advisor is just help them diversify a little bit with the extra money they have. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. If someone has a competitive advantage, and the way I like to look at it is if society thinks somebody doing this type of job should get this much return, and you found a way to double your return or your return on investment without letting anybody know you're doing it, so you're way more profitable and you're because you're just way more efficient. You use technology or you're the best salesman on the planet. I get it. It's a great way to make money. But I have lots of clients who were really, really wealthy, and now they're wiped out. Um, they just they went heavy into one business, mortgaged up everything. Yeah. Most small businesses fail. They do. And so, yeah, but once you've been doing it for 20 years, you've got over the hard hurdles and you've got a lot of resources. I, I think it's much easier to take a company from $10 million in value to 100 than from zero to 10. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I don't disagree that a lot of the people, I, a lot of the clients that I know who are the wealthiest are really, really good at one thing and they have done very, very well. Yeah. But usually what they look up is they see the next generation come up and they go, hmm, not quite sure everybody's quite as good as me. Yeah. So that's when they start to diversify a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. are they investing for themselves now or for the next generation? Yeah. And that being said, I got a lot of clients who next generations are pretty freaking smart and hardworking. So. Yeah, it's amazing the young kids, like the people who work for me and even my own children, like, I mean, sure, you see with your own kids, like, it's just the, the knowledge they get, they're, they're attaining through all the technology just being bombarded. All I'm sure that comes with a lot of stress, too, and other things, but yeah. that we didn't have to experience when we were growing up as kids. So going back to, uh, to this, the changes that occurred in 2017, I, I can hear your passion about it. Yeah. Um, it, it had a lot of, got a lot of press. I, I think there's a lot of people who are self, self-employed business owners. There's professionals like yourself, uh, like lawyers, doctors, accountants who don't really trust the current uh, federal government now because, you know, they get, if they do get reelected, especially if they had another majority, who knows what they're going to want to try and do again. Right. Um, they claim that they're looking out for the, uh, you know, work, the, what is the middle, the middle class. I mean, this is Justin Trudeau is, is probably the most common phrase is the middle class. Yeah. Define that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the middle class? Yeah, sure. So what I'd like to do is we're going to take one more quick break. And then uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll kind of finish off talking about some of the other, you know, tax related concerns you have or things that you think, uh, you know, need to get addressed or we want to be careful aren't going to happen to make the, you know, that middle class worse off because I feel like despite what they're saying, we're not, it is not getting better. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. All right. We're back with Tim Brown and uh, we're about to finish off talking a bit more about tax. Uh, but before we do, you, you started, uh, you pulled out your uh, stand up comedy uh, <laughs> little piece there. You, we we're just talking about uh, Ireland and uh, you were saying that uh, about drinking uh, whiskey. Yeah. So if you have someone who's a friend of yours is Irish and you're not, or so you met someone who's Irish and you're not sure. It's so pretty much anybody that lives in Boston. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Or yeah. Chicago. Or yeah. <laughs> Notre Dame of the... Uh, I have a lot of people who think you're yeah. Scottish. Hi, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a British mongrel. I have English, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh in me. Okay. So <laughs> I have a kilt. So, do you? I do. Okay, I won't ask any more questions beyond uh, that. Well, there's some, there's some funny <laughs> ones. Uh, but the issue thing with, uh, with the Irish, the Irish actually start, whiskey in Ireland was much bigger earlier on, and uh, a few things made it, their industry get wiped out. Uh, but uh, if you're not sure if the person you're talking to is Catholic or Protestant, you ask them, are you a Jameson's or a Bushmills drinker? And if they say Bushmills, the better chance they're Protestant. If they say Jameson's, better chance they're Catholic. They don't always drink on party lines, and there are other, there are other whiskeys out there. Yeah. But those two are the biggest <laughs> two, and they're, they're clearly 
Yeah, I, I find a pretty good correlation. Yeah. yeah. I, I went to the, that's the way this came up is I, was, I went to the Jameson's bre- uh, brewery, I guess you call it, a brewery tour. Yeah. And it was phenomenal. Yeah. It was really good. Well, it was very well done. Yeah. 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 So it's such an art. Amazing. Yeah. What it's, were the other two? You I had two other years. You had some. Uh, oh, the Kiwis. If you go to New Zealander yeah. and you say to them, are you from the North Island or the mainland? Okay. 80% live on the North Island and they think that's the mainland because more people live there. The South Island is geographically bigger. Okay. <laughs> so usually they say, North Island. I mean, that is the mainland. And then you start laughing and then they realize that you were making fun of them. <laughs> and I have 104 cousins on the South Island who are uh, the mainland who own 4.3 million sheep. So I'm kind of more partial to the South <laughs> Island. And uh, the last one is the Germans. Oh, yes. Uh, what about them? Because I have a German brother-in-law. I'd love to know. Okay. So the Northern Germans are very efficient, not known for the sense of humor or sarcasm. The okay. Southern Germans and the Austrians are very efficient and have a sense of humor. So if you have a Northern German friend and they do something stupid, like knock their beer over, which happens, or hit their head or do something, you simply ask them, bist du Ostfrieser? That translates into, are you a newfie? Because basically, <laughs> Ostfriesland is the part of Germany that's right above Holland. Okay. And the Germans don't think much of the Dutch. And I think the feeling is mutual. So if you're saying, hey, if you're from, hey, the person's from Hamburg, you go, are you, are you an Ostfrieslander? You know, bist du Ostfrieser? They go, no, I'm from Hamburg. But you can have, I've had the same conversation with people like 10 times. They, they don't realize I know they're from Hamburg. I'm just saying, are you, are you from West Friesland and therefore not quite the same level of quality as a Hamburg from Hamburg. So, anyway. Do you pick up a lot of German uh, clientele that way? Uh, no, I probably, I probably just lost the ones I have. Probably. Yeah. That being said, uh, German beer, most, very good beer and most important phrase in German, zwei Bier bitte. What does that mean? Two beers, please. Very important phrase. Well, let's help you recover any any losses you've just made on uh, yeah. on the Kiwis, the Germans, or the Irish, yeah. and finishing off about some tax things. One of the things that I've seen people do in estate planning uh, is is to uh, when when mom or dad passes away, and so the other spouse is still mom, you know, mom passes away, dad's still around, but dad's probably on his way out of the house and into uh, into a care home. The kids decide to get their names added to the principal residence mm-hmm. to avoid probate. Yeah. Good or bad? It can be done well. It can be done badly. Uh, now, you got to remember, they're doing this to avoid some legal fees on death, maybe, because you probably have to probate for other things. Okay. And they're really doing it to avoid probate fees yeah. off the house. So if the house is worth $2 million, bucks, it's 1.4%. That's twenty eight grand. If you do it badly and the house goes up in value when the dad's still living there, uh, you might create, maybe the house goes up, say, a million bucks. Well, you might have now triggered a capital gains tax as maybe you did it badly. The principal residence exemption won't apply to two-thirds of the house. Right. Because the house is one-third of the father or and, survivor. Yeah, and say two and, kids, yeah. And the two kids who aren't living there, therefore they don't get to claim it. Or yeah. they claim it, they can't claim it in their own house. Yeah. And if they don't have a house, fine. So it's one of these things, it's a knee-jerk reaction, simple to do. Hey, let's just do it, easy peasy, save 28 grand, and it can backfire. So okay. you can do it properly. You can do other documentation you can put in place, but you have, you're going to have to prove to the CRA the exemption applies. Okay. It's reverse onus. Okay. Uh, another, another question for, uh, when it comes to estate planning, is it fair to say that the best way to plan for estate planning is to give away most that you have before you've passed away? Uh, well, again, that, that, that can be useful. Uh, I mean, I know, I guess there's no universal rule for anybody, but what are the main benefits of giving away your assets before you pass away? 
Well, I, sure, you won't pay, end up paying probate fees on it, but what if you still need the assets? That's my own problem. I, I, if, I had, if I had a client who was 90 in good health, why would I want to give them away all their assets? They'd go incompetent, now they get nothing, and maybe their next of kin who got the assets said, thanks very much, there's a nursing home somewhere in Tumblr Ridge for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tumblr Ridge is a great place, I'm sure, but if you live here, it's a bit of a commute. <laughs> um, so the point is, uh, I'm not a big fan of giving it away without restrictions. But giving it away into a trust that you can control, or that someone you know is in charge of it, so you get all the value of the trust. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, because the courts will enforce that. But giving it away just to avoid probate fees, and you give away pretty much everything. Yeah, that's a dangerous game. Could okay. work out fine. Uh, but I would say I would I would lean against that uh, unless the person had. If they're 99 years old, living in a nursing home, and, and they're competent, and they, they've been told they're not going to live very long, sure, you know, yeah. have enough money for the comfort fund, and the, but then, you know, if that, we're talking about a short period of time, they know something's going to happen. Yeah. But if it's, if it's, you could be there five years, 10 years, I would not want to be depriving myself of my assets. Yeah, fair enough, especially if you worked your whole life for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of, let's talk about business and okay. incorporation. Um, a lot of people I know start up their own businesses, and one of the first things they do to kind of make it official and make it real is to incorporate. Right. But I always kind of think, you know, the cost of incorporation is generally pretty high. Um, about fifteen hundred bucks to incorporate. A but then there's all so the ongoing cost, right? Like about four hundred dollars a year uh-huh. to okay. maybe four fifty a year to hold well, on to it. When, when is so a good that's time? legal fees, and then there's accounting. You know, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, accounting. the accounting fees maybe I don't know thousand yeah. to five thousand, six thousand dollars, depending on how big the company is, how much activity yeah. it has. Like let's say someone's a I don't know allied health or a massage therapist or a chiropractor or something like that, and they're making seventy eighty thousand dollars a year. Does it really make sense for them to incorporate? Okay, so this is one of the reasons that the entire income tax act has to be fixed. Okay, okay. The the one of the reasons why REITs were created, one of the reasons why these twenty seventeen changes came in, is because if you incorporate, and the the number of uh, consultants and professionals who incorporated in the last twenty years has jumped dramatically is because you pay today 12.5% on corporate income yeah. and 50% on, at the highest rate on personal income. Yeah. So that kicks in at 206000 yeah, not it, seventy. But the point is, it's a huge jump. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I, as you know, one of my big frustrations as you a can't. financial advisor, I have never been able to incorporate. Well, that's I've, because the government doesn't think you take any risk with anything. <laughs> you, you, don't have, you don't have payroll to meet. You don't have to pay any, any uh, rent. You have no advertising budget. You, know, not, you have no risks at all. You know. <laughs> right. Well, it's definitely not the case. I know. I'm just saying. It's, yeah, yeah. it's absurd. But right? I, pay, I pay 49.5% tax or whatever it is. 0.8. 49.8. 49.8. That's a number that's ingrained in my head. If I was in Ontario, I'd be over 50%. Yeah, or in New Brunswick, I think it's the worst. Yeah. So. And, and actually, even realtors became, they were able yeah. to incorporate a few years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, before, to, yeah. before the federal. Uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I yeah. know that in your business, you are taking huge risks. You have yeah. payroll. You got to yeah. And I think that's the common denominator should be, are you taking risks? Are you risking your own capital? Are you creating jobs for other people? If you are, you should be allowed to incorporate at a, and, and get a lower tax rate. But let's go back to the whole point. Why would you incorporate? Mm-hmm. There are two reasons to incorporate. Okay. Liability limitation. So if you're doing a consulting and you really, nobody, you're consulting on something that nobody will ever sue you on, you don't need to incorporate for that reason. Okay. Uh, professional corps like doctors and lawyers, they can incorporate. They have no limited liability though. We have unlimited liability. Special so rules. even if a, a doctor, a lawyer, how about accountants? Uh, doctors, lawyers, accountants. Um, dentists. Dentists, architects. Uh, engineers have partial limited liability. Um, okay. but And podiatrists, I think they get nailed as well. Okay. Reason. So you can't, 
limit your liability. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, but, but a lot of people can. Other consultants. Okay. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to start a restaurant, you're going to incorporate. Because someone had, it's a bad bit of food there that you brought in from some other source. You're the one who served it. They get sick or they drink too much and have an accident. You're incorporating. Okay. Okay. So if liability can either be a huge factor or not a factor at all. Okay. What about developers? Because I feel like sometimes there's some shady developers out there that kind of like they incorporate, they build a house, and then they then they incorporate a new play business to build another house. Well, that new home they... warranty goes a long way to stopping problems there. That's because oh, they have to okay. maintain a, a new home warranty cost. And okay. like. But no, of course, there are people who do that. Yeah. That being said, it's also some, sometimes sensible to do that because you might have a really bad deal. Let's say you, again, you risk your capital and you hire a contractor to help build and they screw up and then they don't pay the sub-trades and then everything goes off the hell, you know, handbasket and uh, it, they're coming after everything. So you might have to walk from that project. But if you made that project as a subsidiary, sorry, as a, just another business of, of all your life savings, for, some, for reasons that completely nothing to do with you, someone else screwed up, okay, you could lose point. your house. So, yeah, you got to look at, you, you just want to be known. Actually, the most powerful and most profitable developers are the ones who actually, they don't quite do handshake deals, but they, they, they're really good at sizing up the people they deal with. If things on paper and done properly, but they're really good judges of character. Yeah. And those are the ones who do well. People well, it goes back to uh, your comment before about the best way to, uh, with litigation, the best thing to do is just to avoid it in the first place. Yeah, and be a good communicator is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So the other reason you people incorporate yeah. is the tax yeah. reasons. So tax if, you're gonna, if you're going to, if you're going to consume every penny you earn, so okay. if you can make $70,000 and you need $70,000 to live, yeah. and there's no, there's no liability issue, uh-huh. don't incorporate. I see. If you're going to incorporate, though, and, and, and you realize that you're going to make, sorry, if you're going to make about 70000 a year, and for some reason, because your spouse makes more uh, or they have two incomes, you don't need all 70. You're only going to spend 30. So you can, have, you can save 40. Well, you're going to pay 12.5% on that 40 versus maybe 25, 30% on that 40. So if you take the difference on that, so let's say it's half. So it's 25, so it's 25% instead of 12.5%, say the effective rate, the human rate at that point. You might save yourself, um, whatever that is, um, six, six, five, six grand a year. Okay. The cost of maintaining the company, if it's a very simple transaction, won't be more than maybe two, maybe okay. three. So, you know, so you're, you're saving three grand a year, year in, year out. It compounds. It compounds, yeah. saves up. Yeah. Uh, that's probably not a great example, but if you're making 150, you're living off 50, you're saving 100, it's a huge thing. And that's one of the reasons the federal government went after it. They said, oh my God, these people can compound these things. Well, that's if they're successful. Most small businesses fail. And, you know, the, the, when the rules first came out, it was actually, you're going to get taxed more if you took the risk and succeeded. And if you took the risk and failed, you wiped out anyway. So it was actually better not to take the risk, better yeah. not to incorporate, better okay. not to even become an, an entrepreneur. But uh, it, the, yeah, that's the reason why people do it. So do you, do you see people who incorporate that you kind of go, yeah, you don't need to do this? Or do you ever advise people to unincorporate because it's just not worth it for them? Well, unincorporating can be very problematic because if you had savings of hundred grand, you now have to pay a tax of 44% on that probably. So, right. So it's, it, because it's, incorporation in a way is not tax avoidance. It's just tax deferral. It's, defax, it's tax deferral. What happens with a company that, let's say you're a, let's say, I'll use my father-in-law, you're an electrician and you've incorporated for many years, you've been, and, and you didn't live off of, you didn't need everything. So you've built this, uh, you know, wealth of, you know, a couple million bucks mm-hmm. and that corporation is held in your name. 
Mm-hmm. Is it most of the time, I guess it's held just in the, the spouse who's doing the work or maybe it's... Uh, I like to generally put both spouses on it. Okay. Uh, that, that they've made it very difficult to split income now with this tossy rules, right. but it's still possible if you're over 65. And, okay. Yeah. So when they pass away, what happens to the, uh, like, what's the tax implications related to that? Well, if it's done badly uh-huh. and the way I think the federal government currently wants to do it, you pay double tax. You pay a 25% value, a, a tax on the gain of your shares. So if the shares were bought for a penny, in other words, a hundred grand, you pay $25,000. If, and that's the capital. Gains, that's the capital gain. That, yeah, yeah. So you're basically, you're basically being taxed fully on half the gain. Yeah, yeah. And then it works out to effectively twenty five. Twenty five percent. Yeah. Okay. Tax rate of fifty percent on fifty percent of the value. Yeah. And then do you, that doesn't get to the money out though. It you doesn't. To, you have to get the money out of the company now because you do, your your shares have now have a cost base of from zero now have a cost base of a hundred bucks or hundred thousand dollars in our example, but the shares are still there. So now to get the shares out, you have to redeem them or pay a dividend. And you're going to pay a tax of up to 44% on that. So you add 25 plus 44, that's ugly. Wow. Now, there are ways around it. There's quite a few ways around it. But one of the most common ways is the federal government was trying to take away in 2017, but they backed away from that. This is one of the big ones. That, they, yeah. They, yeah. yeah. They got so much heat on this. Yeah. And because and it, it's really unfair. If yeah, you, it, 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 there's a great concept, which I think a lot of levels of government have forgotten. And it's not a concept that I don't think appears in American tax jurisdiction, uh, uh, jurisprudence. It's called the concept of integration. And what it means, and it's a great idea, if you earn $100 personally and you pay tax on it, and you're left with, let's just say that you're left with $75. If you earn the same $100 through a corporation or series of corporations, you should get $75 at the end too. You should not be punished and you should not be um, benefit from having a corporation. At the end of the day, you should have, you pay the same amount of tax once it gets into dollars in your genes. So, yes, absolutely. Okay. The difference, so uh, I think most politicians, but even the, the federal liberals would probably say, we agree with that. But the problem is they're saying it's the fact you can dam up stuff at the lower corporate rate, and that is an unfair advantage because you have this basically this super RSP. But to me, that's a small price to pay for these people risking all their capital. So 100%. They can, so if they can borrow, if they borrow a million bucks to start their business off and they get to pay it back at $0.87, cent dollars, that seems kind of fair. Absolutely. Yeah. So Not only that, if you're being taxed at a lower rate and it's in the corporation that you're building something, yeah. you're going to use probably use a large amount of that money to reinvest and to duplicate that over and over and create jobs yes. and create and create opportunities and build things. But, but the other thing is if you look at small business owners, the, there's a family business concept and public companies look at things in quarterly reports. What do you, this quarter, how do we do? Mm-hmm. The most successful businesses I know, especially these family businesses that have been around a long time, they look at things over 15, 20 years. Sure. So they might need to dam up capital for 10 years. Yeah, so, build. So they can buy something with a long-term right. vision. So to have them punished by the way the current rules work, that if you dam it up and you make more than 50 grand a year in passive savings as you're damming it up, yeah. you're going to get punished on yeah. your small business rate. It doesn't seem very fair. Clearly, the Trudeau government didn't consult you uh, no. before. <laughs> no. Then again, I had an opportunity to meet him during the campaign a couple times, and I declined. Okay. So, fair <laughs> is fair. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, Tim Brown, I'm really glad you came on the on the uh, show today. This has been a fun, phenomenal conversation. I can't believe we've uh, blown through almost two hours of, of dialogue. I'd love to have you come back again. Love to. Uh, especially maybe after the election, because we'll see what comes out from that. And I'm sure there'll be, you know, every time there's a new government, there seems to be a new set of... Uh, tax rules that come in and uh just it's been great to have you on the show thanks for coming on thanks for inviting me it's fantastic thanks tim thank you Good show.